0: Well, good morning. Uh, thanks, Ryan, um, and congratulations again on you and Sarah's nuptials. It's uh, very exciting for me personally to see Ryan get married. I've been waiting for this for a while. It's great. Um, it was, it, this feels like old times to me because uh, I didn't know that Mike was going to be on drums, but I walk in and they're practicing. I'm like, wow, I get to speak. Ryan's leading worship. Mike's on the drums. This is just like it was 13 years ago at UConn with Crew. Um So great to be here. Very excited. Uh, I'll take a couple minutes and share briefly about our ministry to give you some more idea of what it is that we do, and then we'll get into the Word together. So Crew is an interdenominational um, ministry that works on college campuses and many other areas of life um, all over the country, all over the world. I arrived, my wife and I arrived back in the spring of 1990. I think it is, which is when I first got to know Jason Mitchell, um, way back in the day, um, and we served with the Campus Ministry of Crew for a long time. Over the years, um, we began to work more and more with student athletes. Diane was a was an athlete in college, and we just always gravitated towards student athletes. And there's a branch of Crew called Athletes in Action that specifically focuses on student athletes. So. For many years, while I was still the director of CREW, I was moonlighting working with Athletes in Action, really kinda unofficially serving with that branch of CREW. And then just this past August, almost a year ago, we officially made the transition. Uh, So we're still at UConn, still working with students at UConn. Uh, Really, the athletic world at UConn is just part of reaching the whole campus, which was our objective in the first place. But now we get to do a little more focused ministry um, but I'm also serving in another capacity, too. I'm serving as the Northeast Regional Director for Athletes in Action. So now my scope is not just UConn. It's UConn and Eastern and Fairfield University and Southern Connecticut State and the University of Massachusetts and the University of Maine and NYU and Syracuse and University of Buffalo. It's, it's every school with an athletic department in New York State and New England. So over the last year, I've done a lot of traveling around our region trying to help launch new ministries in the um, athletic departments on all these campuses. So if you happen to know a student, a faculty, a coach, uh, an athlete who is at another university besides UConn, I would really love to hear from you because it's mainly through these types of connections that we're able to uh, get something started. So please don't hesitate to talk to us afterward. I haven't asked Diane this, but I assume we're sticking around for a little bit for that awesome cake and there were deviled eggs down there. So you know I'm sticking around for some of that. all right, so that's our ministry. Oh, one other aspect of our ministry, also sports-related, that Diane is in the midst of right now, is that she serves as the chaplain for the Connecticut Sun WNBA team, uh, which is really exciting and fun, and she's had a long history with them. And their spe- their season begins in May, generally, and, and, and goes until September. So just as campus is slowing down, her ministry with the athletes... Um, in the WNBA heats up so she's in the midst of that so um it never ends it never ends um, we just had our oldest son Stephen, graduate from college so that's very exciting and he's got a job which we're very excited about that's that was an answer to prayer you know, for us believe me all right let's get into the word together let me take a second and pray lord thank you so much for our time this morning um, i pray that it would be fruitful and beneficial and that um, we would gain some very practical wisdom application from this uh, passage. So speak through me, speak to all of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all right, so here's the passage, Acts 20. Is it going to go up on the screen? I don't know, it might, um, but I'll read it from here. It says, on the first day of the week, when we, this is Luke speaking, Luke wrote, uh, both Luke and Acts, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So yeah, when Ryan threw out a bunch of passages, I saw this one, I was like, I can't turn that down. It, it, I've, never, I've never heard a message on this passage in my entire life. Now a little inside joke between Jason and I in the previous chapter. Jason knows where I'm going with this. In the previous chapter, there's a great funny story about the seven sons of Sceva, and it's this crazy story. You should read. Go back and read chapter 19. Um, it's when Jason was a student involved with Crew, and we talked about that passage a lot in good humor. Um, but this passage, I was like, man, I've never heard a message on this. And I think part of the reason I've never heard a message on it is obvious from the text. What's the? Uh, so a little feedback. What? Why would a? Why would a? Why would a pastor be hesitant to speak on this passage? Yes, it draws attention to how long he's speaking, right? How long Paul's speaking. Um, So (laughs) he was boring. Yes, we'll get get to that. We'll get to that. Um, So I can talk about a lot of things related to to this passage. I could talk about the very interesting point that you get early on in this passage where Luke uses the word We. Because you'll notice that earlier in the book of Acts, Luke is always referring to them as they. But now he's saying we. So that transition to we indicates that at some point, Luke joined up with them and now is an eyewitness to things going on. Really interesting point. I could spend a long time talking about that. We could talk about Paul's love and compassion for Eutychus. We could talk about the miracle of Eutychus being resurrected after falling to his death. Um, there's actually controversy over whether Eutychus actually died or not. But I'm not going to get into any of that. I'm actually going to hit on this idea that Paul talked for a while and Eutychus died because of it. Hence the title of the talk, Talking People to Death. All right. I warned Ryan ahead of time. I'm like, Ryan, just be prepared for what I'm going to share. So this is not a directive at you. I just want you to know. All right. The question I want to start with is, why did Eutychus die? Well, obviously, the primal cause is he fell out a window, you know, three-story window, and died. But why did he do that? Um, I've read a number of commentators speak on this particular passage or write on it, and they all, at least everyone that I've read, blames Eutychus for Eutychus' death. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Matthew Henry... Um, in his concise commentary, he said this. In the early times, it was the custom to receive the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day, thus celebrating the memorial of Christ's death. In this assembly, Paul preached. The preaching of the gospel ought to go with the sacraments. They talked about him breaking bread. They were willing to hear how, how they were so and continued his speech until midnight. Sleeping when hearing the word is an evil thing, a sign of low esteem of the word of God. We must do what we can to prevent being sleepy. Not put ourselves to sleep, but get our hearts affected with the word we hear, so as to drive sleep far away. Infirmity requires tenderness, but contempt requires severity. It interrupted the apostle's preaching, but it was made to confirm his preaching. So Matthew Henry is saying, look, Eutychus should have done a better job staying awake. And it was an insult to Paul and an insult to God's word that he fell asleep. He couldn't manage to stay awake. And not only that, it interrupted Paul's preaching. So Paul had to go down and deal with it. it you know, it was just, a, it, was a, it was all on Eutychus. Um, 18th century Anglican priest, Jonathan Swift, once gave a message on this passage titled, Sleeping in Church. And maybe, in some way, defending his own preaching, addressed congregational complaints about what they considered to be boring sermons. Don't know if any of you have ever been there. Uh, no pastor, of course, would enjoy hearing those kinds of complaints. Um, It was the 18th century, of course, but apparently they were expected to be entertained in church. Can you relate to that? That church somehow was supposed to keep my attention and keep me going. Um, And so in this message, he blamed, uh, it put the responsibility for staying awake completely and solely on Eutychus. So you can see why pastors and commentators um, would say, hey, you know what? This whole thing is Eutychus' fault. He didn't do, he didn't take his, you know, Jolt, or you know, or what what, five-hour energy, or whatever it takes to stay awake for this message. And I'm going to argue that this is completely unfair to Eutychus. And I'm going to say the reason why he died is because Paul went on and on, and Paul was boring. Right? That's what I'm going to argue. So here we go. There are practical applications for this that we'll touch on. I'm only going to hit on this point for for a moment. Verse seven. The text makes it clear that Paul spoke much longer than he normally would. Because he was leaving the next day, right? It said he was planning on leaving the next day. Paul had a lot to say, and he wanted to make sure that he said it. He apparently had a lot to say, and so he kept going. The, the scripture says he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, that doesn't mean he delayed his speech until midnight. It doesn't mean he, he waited uh, at midnight, we'll get started. That means he kept going till midnight, Okay. Um, The the Greek word, um, well, the definition of prolong means to lengthen out in time, to extend the duration of, to cause to continue longer. The Greek word for prolong is peritino, and it means to extend, to stretch out. So Paul talked for longer, much longer than he normally did. And this was a speech. This wasn't a conversation, like back and forth. This was Paul just doing his thing for a really, really, really long time at night. Now, I'm picturing that might have been hard. It might have been hard to sit through. Verse nine says, "Eutychus sank into a deep sleep." And what does it say? As Paul talked, still longer. So, like, even then, Paul kept on going. And poor Eutychus, like, you can totally picture this, right? I mean, we've all been there, right? Let's not kid ourselves, right? We're sitting there, and we've all had this thing going on, right? You've all been there. I once in class. When I was a college student, I had a guy, and you know, we all, we all kind of do this you know, in, in class, you're trying to pay attention to the hour-long lecture. There was a guy who was in my European history class. It was taught by a little, little German man who spoke like uh, the count from Sesame Street. You know, two, three. The three reasons the Germans lost the war. You know, that's how he would speak. And we had this, two, two seats behind me it was a football player, humongous guy. Nobody was going to bother him, but you know, again, normally in class, you 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 are not so obvious about falling asleep, right? You just you you you, do, you you kind of have this thing going on. He tilted his head back and was just snoring loudly, you know, and and, and we were all looking back, and it's like who's gonna who's gonna wake him up? Not me, not anybody else, right? So for 40 minutes, that guy was just out cold, right? We've all, we've all been tired. We've all been in situations where a person is talking and we're having a hard time staying with it. We know the length of Paul's preaching was inordinately long. We can handle it um, in certain contexts. So, like, if I asked Ryan beforehand, I said, like, who's somebody you would really love to hear speak? And he said, Tim Keller. Tim Keller pastor down at Redeemer down in New York City. It's like, okay, so if if you knew he was coming to give a message or to give a speech at UConn, let's say in in Jorgensen Auditorium, right? And you knew he was gonna speak for an hour, like you could probably hang in there for that, right? Because you know that's what's coming. You can gear yourself up for that, right? Um, But in many, many contexts, it's very, very difficult. Um, I don't know that they expected Paul to go quite that long. Dynamic speakers can hold your attention for longer. That's just normal. That's why they're dynamic, right? You can listen to some people all day. Paul, by his own account, was not a particularly gifted speaker. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, he said, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, My speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. Paul himself acknowledged that he was not a particularly excellent or persuasive, or dynamic public speaker. He had a lot of gifts. Paul had a lot of gifts. Um, many spiritual gifts, many natural gifts. He, he had the gift of apostleship. He was a very determined man who displayed incredible courage in the face of danger. He was single-minded of purpose. He was zealous and committed. He loved God's word, and he loved to pass it on. He built into men and helped change the world. Paul was an incredibly gifted guy. But apparently, he wasn't a particularly good Public speaker. So it's one thing to listen to an incredibly dynamic public speaker for 45 minutes. It's a whole other thing to listen to somebody who's not particularly gifted and not for 45 minutes, but for hours and hours and hours. And I think that knocked Eutychus out. Plus, it says he was a young man and it was like past midnight at this point. I mean, he was probably really tired, you know what I mean, to, to top it off. Just a bad time of day to be given a eight-hour message, you know what I mean, and and I think it knocked him out. So I'm going to blame Eutychus' death on Paul and his lengthy and not-so-dynamic message. Okay, why am I speaking on this, right? Like it's, not, it's not about, like, how long a sermon is or anything like that. I want to go and talk about um, communication because... It really gets to the heart. This, this, message, this passage is a good jumping point to talk about the principles of communication that make it um, hard sometimes to be heard well or that make it easier to be heard well. So I ask you, what is the point? This is a good place for feedback again. What is the point of communication? When you are speaking with someone and you're speaking to them, what is your objective? Say again? To get, them to, to get them to understand. Okay. Anyone else? Transfer of ideas. Transfer of ideas? Okay. Most of the time when I ask this question, the answer that I get back is to make sure I say what I want to say. And I think to myself, well, that's a problem. There's nothing wrong with saying what you need to say, but the goal of communicating is to be understood. I, my hope is that as you're listening to me, you are understanding what I'm saying. That it's, it's not good enough for me just to say what I think I need to say. If I'm doing it in a way that you don't get it, I'm not doing a good job as a communicator. And the flip side is true. When you're receiving something from someone, your goal is to understand, not just to listen, right? Because if you don't understand, you need to make sure that you get some clarification, right? So with that being um, understood, um, when, it, when we think about um, communicating, it's, it's really important how we do it. Communication requires some level of skill in thought. The Bible has a lot to say about, about how we communicate. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 5.4 says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Colossians 4.6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. James one twenty six says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. In other words, the Bible has a lot to say, not only what we communicate, but how we do it. It really does matter. And we can communicate in a way that it's like hitting a brick wall. And then I ask the question, what's the point? Why are we doing this? So I'm going to give you three things, hopefully three practical things, that will help you all, help me too, become better communicators in whatever situation we're in. These are things that I call communication killers. The first one is this. We've been touching on it in this passage. Talking too long. Um, Have you all heard of TED Talks? For those of you who don't know what TED Talks are, I don't know if TED is an organization. I don't know what it stands for. But um, there's a whole series of lectures that TED the organization TED Talks runs, and you have experts in all these crazy great fields, and they get up and they give messages on, on their area of expertise. They have an 18 minute limit. That's the rule, no matter who you are. Barack Obama, who is by all accounts of very good order, could be giving a TED Talk and they'll only give him 18 minutes. It's for President of the United States, like sorry, 18 minutes, that's the deal. Why does TED, person, Ted, why does Ted, the organization, only allow people to speak for 18 minutes? They've done scientific studies on the human attention span. The average human attention span is 12 minutes long. 12 minutes. If you look at a bell curve, the exceptional attention span is 18 minutes. So Ted shoots for the exceptional. But think about that. 18 minutes? That is not very long, right? So if you're speaking for 45 minutes, you're running into some problems right off the bat. Okay. Um, let me give you an analogy because there's something called um, cognitive backlog. So let me give you an analogy. Imagine you're picking up or you're, you're, you're moving things from one part of the house to the other or whatever, and you're, you have your arms out and people are stacking things, boxes in your arms, and each one weighs, you know, cumulatively, it's more and more and more. Right? You're getting to the point where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can handle it anymore, and they keep piling it on. Eventually, what's gonna happen? Are you gonna drop one of them? You're dropping all of them, boom, the whole thing just collapses. And scientists say this is kind of what happens. When we hit the point of cognitive backlog, when we reach the breaking point for us, and it's a little different for each person, of course, not only, it's not like we just forget everything else that comes after that point, it's like we forget everything. We forget everything. So, have you ever been in a situation where someone's talking for a long time and you get, and you're done, and people ask you like, hey, you know, how was the sermon? Or how was that class? You know, what did he talk about? And you're like, honestly, I can't really remember much of it at all. Ever been there? This is why. Our brains can only handle so much. So, if you wish to communicate well in a a way that people will actually go home with stuff, and you get them past that cognitive backlog point, you might as well not even have spoken at all because their brains cannot process that much information. The Bible has some things to say about how long we speak. Proverbs ten nineteen says, "'When words are many, transgression is not lacking, "'but whoever restrains his lips is prudent.'" Kind of like the more you talk, the more likely it is you're going to say something you wish you hadn't have said. James 119, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, I'll give you an example where this comes into play. Um, My dear mom, um, she's not a public speaker, although she has done that. But I did not like bringing questions to my mother. I just didn't like doing it and you all know where I'm probably going with this. Why did I not like asking my mom questions? What would would happen? I'm sorry? Life lessons? It turns into a life lesson. It turns into a lecture. It turns into a lecture, a 30, 40 minute lecture. And I'm like, Mom, that's not what I came to ask you. Like, That's not what I'm asking for. And it would be like one-sided like boom. So after a while, I began to not come to my mom with my questions. And that, you don't want that with your kids. You want your kids to come, with, come to you with, with questions. But every single time I brought a question to her, it turned into a lecture on something. It was intolerable. It was into, I love my mom, we have a great relationship, but I could not deal with that. So here's one very specific application of this. Parents, when your kids come to you with questions, be, be able to answer questions briefly. Get to the point. And then maybe the conversation might allow you to move on to something else. But don't take that little point and turn it into an opportunity for you to get get up to your podium. Not because you don't have good things to say, because you do, but because kids will tune that out. Have you ever gotten to the point where you're talking to somebody and you see like the glassy look on the face, right? you know you've reached this cognitive backlog point. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, and sometimes it's sin. Sometimes people just like, I, I don't want to hear, I don't want to listen to you. Like, that's one thing. But it could be that they're trying, but you've just overloaded them, and that was not what they were ready for, and they're, and, you, you know, everything you've said essentially is worthless because you're, They've, they've dropped all the weight, and, and they've forgotten everything that you've said. So we have to be really careful as parents, or whenever we're in a regular conversation, not to turn it into an opportunity to go on and on. You know, and, and we're just going to miss people that way. All right. So we want to talk with people, not at people. Says the guy giving a message. Right at, at people. Um, okay. Secondly, so talking too long. Just be aware that check your time. Like, don't just keep going. Secondly. A patronizing or disparaging tone. Oh, man, this is, uh, I hate this, right? It conveys all the wrong things, makes us look like we believe that we're superior, right? Have you ever had someone talk down to you? Even if they're not using um, patronizing words, if their tone is patronizing or disparaging or... there's a sense of superiority there. It makes it incredibly hard to listen to them, even if they have good things to say, right? Back to the passage in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you know how to respond to each person. Be gracious, not patronizing, okay? And it can be hard, especially if you're talking about an area that you know more than the other person. It's hard to sit there and not put that on them. Okay? But when you do that, the odds of them hearing you and understanding you and really listening to you go down dramatically. So let's not have that. All right, here's a, here's a third one. Third uh, communication killer is not reading your audience. You don't have to be a communication expert to notice that when the other person you know, has that glazed over look, they're not with you anymore, right? Um, when you, you might be frustrated by that, but when that point comes, it literally, literally, is pointless to keep on going. As as frustrating as that may be, you're literally wasting your breath because that person will not process what you're saying, right? So read your audience. If you can tell they're getting there, you need to you need to address that very quickly. You need to to adjust yourself. In poker, um, there's there's these things called tells, um, where where they you know if they bluff, they might. Oh, we shuffle their cards a little bit, right? And so the movie Maverick starring Mel Gibson, he, he spends an hour in his first poker game just learning people's tells. We need to learn how to recognize people's tells where we are seeing kind of how they're responding. You know, if they're sitting back like this, like what is that telling you? You know, they're not super interested in what you're saying. But if they're nodding and they're leaning in, it's like, okay, I can keep, I can keep going. So learn people's tells, Um, learn your audience. One other way that we talk about learning your audience or reading your audience is understanding who you're talking to. So I don't know when it was, a year ago, my kids introduced me to a new term for me, lit. Actually, my daughter's like, oh my gosh, right? Lit means cool, right? Like that's lit, like that's awesome. Is that correct? Yeah, okay, (laughs) right. So when she first said it, I was like, I was like, "Lit! What are you talking like? What are you talking about? I have no idea." So my kids are constantly teaching me like new language, and and, and I want to make sure that I'm speaking in a way that is best to be understood. I want to show a movie clip, a quick one-minute movie clip from one of the best legal thriller movies of all time, "My Cousin Vinny," and it's <laughs> it's um, so to set up the scene. Some of you have seen the movie, I guess. To set up the scene, um, uh, Joe Pesci, who is Vinnie Gambini from New York, Vincent Gambini, he's he's a lawyer and he's trying to get his nephew off a murder charge. And so he's he's in the deep south. I don't know if it's Alabama or Mississippi. So, cultural clash, right? Vinnie Gambini from New York and a southern audience, um, a deep south audience. You know, and there's different dialects in the English language. So, if you could roll that clip, that'd be great. Is it possible the two youths uh, uh, to what? Uh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say utes? Yeah, two utes. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. <laughs> is it possible the two defendants... Entered the store. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you get the idea. Like, like even just simple things like n- not understanding a, a, a word. I've got a great story um, about a friend who, who used who used to live in Italy. I won't share it because it's it's I, mm. PG PG thirteen is mildly inappropriate for church, but. Um, you can ask me about it later. Uh, it's, it's a great story. Um, just about miscommunication, just, just not understanding, like, you know how another language, Like if you mispronounce a word just a little bit, um, you, could, you could totally say something wrong. So I um, heard a story of a person who was in China, and they were looking to go to get on the elevator and go up, and the word for four is incredibly similar to the word for death. So she was asking to go to the fourth, asking a Chinese person, you know, a native Chinese person, if they, you know, take her to the fourth floor. And the woman's like, like, basically, she's saying, can you take me to the floor of death? It's like, no, I don't think I want to do that. So understanding your audience, understanding where they're coming from, the language they speak, um, their tells, really, really important when it comes to uh, personal communication and being effective. So here's the bottom line. This passage, just a fun passage to talk about. Um, certainly, in the context of, of preaching, there's 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 application. In the context of parenting, there's application. Uh, you know, I I don't mean to come down too hard on the fact that parents we can tend to lecture, but I think we all know that that's a reality sometimes, and we have to be really, really, really careful with that. Um, but just in regular conversation, you know, we need to make sure that we're we're not coming at people with an with an air of superiority, but be speaking always with humility and with grace and with kindness. Even if we're saying hard things, um, we wanna be having our speech seasoned with salt and we wanna make sure we're reading our audience. Last takeaway is this idea. Um, Some of you may have heard the phrase that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Building relationship is really important when it comes to communication. A lot, of, a lot of speakers will try to connect with their audience right away if it's like a public speaking so that you feel like, oh, there's some sort of relational connection here. Um, certainly, um, the biblical passage where it says love covers a multitude of sins really comes into play here. We are going to mess up with communication. We are going to do it. There's, just, there's no way around it. And so it's really important that we have trust in one another, that we've built a relationship so that when we do make a mistake, when we do err, when we do sin in our communication, that we know that there's love there and there's acceptance there, and that covers those mistakes. So my hope is that this fun little story can be instructive for us in terms of being better communicators, whether we're in a public speaking environment, whether we're in interpersonal communication, or or what have you. So uh, let's use this passage and and apply it to our lives instructively. So let me take a second and pray. All right. All right. Lord, thank you so much for this this fun passage. Thank you for an opportunity to share from it. I do pray, Lord, that we would walk away with um, some practical tools to be better communicators in every situation in life, whether we're giving a, a sermon, a lecture, teaching class, or just speaking with somebody in a one on one context, Lord. So thanks that you have. you care about those things and you have things to say about all those things. That this isn't just a great academic exercise, but that there are great instructive things for us that we can apply starting this moment. So thanks, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.